This episode is sponsored by Gopher State Tape Library, a 5013C corporation. Established in 1974, the library has been archiving recovery talks of the many 12-step recovery fellowships across the globe. For almost 50 years, these have been distributed worldwide. The library is the only all-volunteer organization doing this work in existence. There are no paid employees. Thousands of downloads, MP3s, and CDs can be obtained at www.gstl.ecwid.com. What I'm going to talk about tonight primarily is fear and hope, which covers a lot of ground. But it's kind of interesting. Sometimes you, uh, you know, you're praying and you walk, you're praying and all of a sudden you hear a lyric over the radio or all of a sudden a book falls off the shelf and there's the title you were looking for or the phone rings and the person on the other end, you have the conversation that you were trying to have with yourself. And I was uh, walking around before the meeting. And I was looking over this grapevine, and one of my favorite parts of the big book is torn out and laying over there. <laughs> and it's in, the <laughs> it's in the chapter of the agnostic, which ties into this fear and hope thing. And uh, I just uh, I just adore this page. But anyway, it, it's after the uh, the paragraph where they're talking about if you could have done something about your condition, you would have better philosophy of life, better code of morals, that kind of thing. Then it says, lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. Obviously. I wish they would have put a question mark there instead of a period. Obviously. But where and how are we to find this power? That's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is enabled you, the reader, to find a power greater than yourself which will solve your problem. And uh, my old friend uh, Don Pritz used to talk about this, and uh, and I heard him a number of years ago talk about it. He said, do you understand that it's singular? It's just problem. It'll solve your problem. And I don't know about you, but when I got here, and many times since I've been here, I've ascertained that I have several problems, um, a plethora of problems. <laughs> In an incredible number of areas. Um, and this has had one problem. And that is any idea, any thought that separates me from God. That's the problem. All the rest, all the rest is symptomatic of my separation from God or from the power. And uh, I'll tell you, when you're starting out or when you're new or when you're an atheist, that sounds like a bunch of uh, very hard to swallow ideas, thoughts. Um, concepts. So um, there's a lot of acronyms around fear. Forget everything and run, you know. Um, there's another two or three versions of that that are not for mixed company. But I thought of one uh, this week, which uh, made a lot of sense to me. If I can remember it. Future expectation. Already realized. Future expectation already realized. Um, expectation gets a bad rap here. You hear in the fellowship, you hear a lot, expectation is a premeditated resentment. Well, our relationship with God is based on expectancy. It is, I expect to be supported. I expect to be held up. I expect to have reserves 
that will get me through the challenges that are coming in front of me. Uh, there's an expectancy. It's it's a proper expectancy. So I got this problem with fear. I didn't think I had any. I didn't think I had any uh, when I was drinking. I didn't think any when I sobered up. I didn't. I just I didn't have a concept that that I was afraid of anything because I was in a place where um, I had very little hope for my life, let alone my future. And I really wasn't sometimes dying was an attractive idea. There were people that were trying to help me die. And there were times that I certainly uh, encouraged that along the way too. So it became, uh, it was a great awakening and more than a little surprise when I realized that I was afraid. And it didn't happen in my fourth step. Even though there's a fear inventory there, it happened for me in my tenth step as I was peeling away the ideas one by one and I started realizing, man, you know, when you look at resentments and you examine resentment, there's always a fear component in resentment. When you look at your harmful behavior towards others, sexual or otherwise, when you're hurting people, there's always a component of fear in that. There's always a component of fear in that. And then when you do the fear inventory, the main conclusion they want us to come to is what? That we've been self-reliant and it hasn't worked. So the solution is God-reliance, not Roger-reliance. And uh, frankly, I didn't have a concept of this power that that could encompass my problems. So I was not willing to turn my will in my life. I was not willing to surrender my issues, my uh, problems, because I thought, one, if they were taken care of, it wouldn't be to my satisfaction. And two, they were too insignificant to be addressed, really, by an all-encompassing deity. I mean, what would that be like, you know? So my concept of God had to keep evolving, as well as my concept of fear, as well as my concept of pain. Pain was something that was always supposed to be avoided at all costs. That was one of the things that was really good about alcohol. You could get pain-free. You could also get a lot of other things, but pain-free was one of them. You know, you could get momentary uh, periods of no pain and also fearlessness. You know, so what's pain about? Pain is a pointer. Pain is just telling me I'm off the mark. What mark? What mark could I be off? Your mark? The Catholic's mark? The Episcopalian's mark? The Jew's mark? Whose mark am I off? I'm off my mark. I'm off my mark. We come to find a God here, and what do they tell us to do? Practice at the level of intuitive response. Practice at the level of where you're joined with that power. Practice deciding from there. Well, I was so full of fear that I never had time to practice. I was always reacting. So pain is a pointer. Instead of when pain is something you got to avoid at all costs, you never get the message. If if I slam my hand in a door, I don't have to think, well, you've slammed your hand in the door. What are your options here? Let's think about it. No, you just go, oh, geez. That's it. And the pain stops because you remove it from the source. But when it's my thinking, I don't have that response. 
I go, I'm full of fear. I think I'm going to go out of business. I think I'm going to be alone the rest of my life. I think I'll never get laid again. I think, I think, I think. And I'm just sitting there with my hand on the burner. And I'm going, what's that? Oh, you're, you're cooking your bloody hands. Oh, yeah, but just a minute. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. What am I, you know, what are my options? I don't have a normal response to the pain. The pain is just saying, you know, I got a thing. I got a thing called a soul, a spirit. And when I offend it, I get consequences immediately, immediately. And uh, I never knew that because I was always reacting. I never stopped. I never paused to consider. I didn't do any of that. I just reacted later on as we're going through this. Pain is a pointer. I have offended me. This happens a lot when you're working with new people and they start recovering. And they get weller and weller and weller and weller. And then they go back and they do some more behavior. I just talked to a home group member Monday night about this. And uh, <coughs> she went back and did some old behavior. She hasn't done it in a long time. Some of you refer to that as acting out. I just think it's a relapse. But anyway, and she was reporting to me. She was upset with herself. And uh, we talked about it. And I said, what's happened is you've grown in your relationship to God enough that the behavior is objectionable to you now. And that's what the pain is. You're not, you're, it's, your ego's masquerading like guilt and shame. Oh, you have done nothing you've done. You know, those are you. The same old bitch you always were. And you just start beating on yourself. You never can hear the message because your head's swollen shut. The message is, ah, what's objectionable? The behavior. Well, who's offended? Me. I have offended myself. And it's caused pain. I can't have that, aha, uh-huh, until I recognize there's a difference between who I am, spirit, child of God, divine essence, and my behavior. I am not my behavior. I'm responsible for it. But I'm not my behavior. Just like I'm not my thinking. So pain is a pointer. So when I'm uncomfortable, I ask, ah, What's going on? It's just telling you you moved off the mark. You moved off your path. That's all. Whatever your path is, just telling you you moved up. Well, what have I done? What am I doing? What am I about? What just happened? Ah. And you move back. Fear is always a future projection. The big book talks about it. It says it describes as an evil corroding threat. And our lives were shot through with it. Systemic. Doesn't say that about our sex conduct. And it doesn't say that about our resentments. It says it about fear. And if you've walked down this thing a ways, you know, you address your resentments with your amends and changed behavior. And you find out that your resentments were the source, the source of your resentments was how you perceived the world. Always hurting me. Always getting ready to hurt me. Always out to get me. Hey, 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 hey. That drops away because I learned to look at you a different way and look at the situations in my life a different way. And then I do the amends and I'm free of the past. Resentment becomes much less of a monster. The same with the hurtful conduct to others, the sex conduct, just lousy, selfish, self-centered behavior, using people for my own needs, ends. That falls away for the same reason because I've got to grow towards a new ideal. So what's that going to be? 
And right away, it's easy to see why that's problematic. And a lot of it I'm willing to drop because it's so painful. But fear is so damn sneaky. It's in everything. I can be doing great. Fear doesn't come up and go, ah! It comes up and goes, hmm. Do you see the way he's looking at you? Oh, never mind. Move on, move on. You know, and then later on, it'll just be a little doubt. And then I'll notice, I'm just a little anxious. I'm just a little anxious. Well, I'll just blow that off. Ego says, blow that off. Minimize that. Just no big deal, no big deal. And pretty soon, by the end of the day, I got 56 no big deals. And I'm torqued. And I then you say, what's bothering you? And I go, I don't know. I don't know. Well, what's been going on? Well, nothing. Nothing really. No big deals. Well, let's talk about the little deals. What little deals? I don't know. Start at the beginning. When you get up, what happened? Ah, well, oh, no toilet paper. I was a little ticked about that. Mm, good, good. What else? How'd your prayer meditation go? Well, I cut it short. Oh, oh, then what happened? Well, I got in the car. And I was late for work. Why? Because I didn't fill the tank. When? Last night. Oh, hmm. And we go on and on and on, and pretty soon you understand why you're chasing that guy down the exit ramp with your baseball bat. <laughs> you know? And then hopefully the light comes on. Oh, I need to prepare me. I don't need to prepare to defend against you. I need to prepare me. So I got this thing, this problem with fear. And near as I can tell, it's part of the human condition. Um, Wilson talked about it in his essays in the 12 and 12, but he talked about our basic instincts are our basic instincts. And fear is one of our basic instincts. It's a, it's a preservation instinct. And that's fine. You know, I want to be afraid if I'm about to step out in front of a car. I think that's appropriate. I want to be afraid if I see some guy frothing at the mouth, running down the street at me with a tire iron, I think fear would be appropriate. But the prob that's not the fear I have a problem with. The problem I have the fear with is the guy I look at in the meeting and I start making up damn stories about what he's thinking. And pretty soon I'm scared to death. I didn't look like fear because it'll come out as anger. Anger's fear. Depression is fear. Anxiety is fear. Doubt is fear. Procrastination is fear. Not totally, but there's a fear component in all that. Why do you procrastinate? Anyone ever have a procrastination problem? See? Why do we procrastinate? Because we're telling ourselves that doing it is going to be worse than thinking about it. And we believe it. Now, if you, this, there's a, there's a great exercise that, uh, uh, a psychologist uh, created David Burns, and it's it's a cognitive exercise. It's about it's about this very thing for procrastination. So you have this list of things you're procrastinating. Let's just say it's the laundry. So you got the laundry of the things I'm putting off, okay? And then uh, on a scale of one to ten, how bad do you think the experience of doing laundry is going to be? About a thirteen, okay? And then you go out and do the laundry. And when you come back, you answer the next question. Having done the laundry now. What is your level of satisfaction? Zero to ten, ten being the best. And what you find out is that the expectation, the premeditated expectation of the act was always worse than the outcome. Why? Because fear is a liar. Fear is the whole fuel system for the ego. The reason fear is so problematic for me is because that's how the ego works on me to keep me uncomfortable. 
it says, you know, I might have, I might have made some progress in my steps. I might have made some progress in my relationship with God. And I'll, I'll be sitting there reflecting, you know, things are getting a little better. Things are a little better. What's the ego say? Well, hold on, because the other shoe's going to drop. You know, the, your little pink cloud thing. I'm in a great place. I'm in a great place. Well, it won't last. <laughs> Enjoy it while you can. Because this ain't Disneyland. You know, that's what the, that's what that, my head is always doing to me. It'll use fear either way. You got a goal. I got a goal. I want to get sober for a year. I want to have a job. And you get a job. And all the while you're trying to put that year together, your head's chewing and you're going, you know, you're never going to pull this off. You know, it's really a waste of effort. You know, it, you're going to get loaded. You're going to get drunk. You're going to screw up. You're going to get fired. You won't be able to find a job. Then you get the job and you've defied the ego and you've unmasked the lie. And then what does it do? Well, you're never going to hold on to the damn job. Or you know what? A man of your abilities at this pay level is really offensive, you know. And what was this great gift and you were so grateful for in about two, three, four, five good sessions with yourself has become totally unacceptable. It's become totally unacceptable. Obviously, I don't know who I am. You know, I probably sold myself short in that interview. Should have made more money. That's what it does. It just, it'll take whatever side's available. Why? Because the only job the ego has is staying alive. If the ego's alive, if the self, the self, selfish, self-centered part of us, I call it ego, is alive, it is on the throne of my life. Then it's making all my decisions. All my decisions have to go through that processing center, and they're all fear-based. Have you ever noticed when you're afraid or when you're in crisis, which is several times a day for some of us, and you're imagining the possibilities. What are they? Bad, worse, and awful. You know, I can usually come up with two or three outcomes, and they're all unacceptable. They're all crap. Why is that? And then I find out, I do this funny thing, I accidentally surrender. Or I accidentally let go. I get distracted. Some guy calls me and I'm talking to him and, and I get done. All of a sudden, poop, an idea pops into my head that I hadn't considered. Or the phone rings and there's a solution to that problem that I didn't even imagine. I didn't think there was a solution available from another source other than me. <laughs> what a concept. And this, the lies that this thing sets up get disproved all the time. But the tricky part of it is it will tell, take that refudiation, and it will turn that on me. So, you know, it's just luck, just coincidence. I wouldn't hang my hat on that. Ooh, you know, next you'll be praying all the time. Then what are we going to do, you know? So fear is problematic. Because they say God-reliance is the answer to my problem. I can't be 100% God-reliant. I'm just not perfect enough. So I'm going to have to do with that. I'm going to have to find some ways of addressing that. The first way is you've got to be able to identify it. I'm afraid. The other thing about the ego and fear, and this is true of resentment too, it always keeps me in a tense other than the presence, the present tense. If I'm not here now, there's nothing I can do. If I'm believing this fear... Future expectation already realized. To realize means to become real to me. When I'm afraid of something and I start obsessing on it, I am responding 
mentally and emotionally as if it's already happened. My mind doesn't know the difference. Because I've created the scenario and I bought it. And as soon as I buy it, I'm done. I'm toast. So fearlessness is the goal. It's the ideal. All fear is based in lack. Agreed? Not enough love, not enough applause, not enough money, not enough time, not enough space, not enough good people in recovery, not enough God, certainly not a big enough God, wrong God. I mean, that's what it's all about. It's all about lack. So let's flip the coin on the other side and talk about hope. When I sit with a new person and they start identifying and they start coming around and they start putting some time together, two days, three days, six days, seven days, a month, two months, three months, they start realizing, my God, I can live without drinking. And then we'll have to learn to live without stealing and we'll have to learn to live without fraud and we'll have to learn to live and pay taxes. We'll have, there's, you know, there's some things to do, but the, the big miracle, the first one is I've arrested this drinking thing. It's just, I don't know how I'm not drinking. I'm not saying it's pleasant. It's not pleasant because when you're sober and you have no recovery, you're just locked up with the animal. But what we say is, oh, 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 that'll stop. Let's look at there's some areas already here where it's diminished. And you go, oh, I feel hope. I feel hope. So what is hope? I'm not knocking hope. But I've been... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been uh, reading some books written by this Buddhist nun that I really enjoy and, and she talks about this in a way that I hadn't thought about it before what is hope in, in the way we talk about it hope is based in lack hope is my expectation of a better tomorrow a better next moment I'll be taken care of. What is that? That means I don't think I'm taken care of now. It'll be better tomorrow. Well, that means I'm not here. I'm tomorrow one. You hear what I'm saying? The goal is hopelessness. Be without hope. Because now I'm, I'm not saying if you're being, if you've, I'm not trying to be a big bummer. If you're new and you're feeling hopeful, be hopeful. <laughs> What I'm saying is this, what I have talked to people and expressed as hope, I believe is inspiration. I believe when you feel hopeful when we're talking, it's because you're being filled by the Spirit. And we feel God. And when God is present, there is no future and there is no past. And right now in this moment, I have every single thing I need. I am safe. I am loved. I am well cared for. I have no needs that aren't met. You're right here in this moment. And we spend so little time right here in this moment because we're very busy people. We have commitments and we have jobs and we have responsibilities we have traffic we have chores we have errands to run we have stuff to do and it's amazing because if you would say well so is filling your gas tank more important than your relationship with god you say absolutely not 
But then I talk to you and say, what you been doing? Tell me about what your, what your prayer life looks like. And you go, well, I haven't been praying much. Oh, why? I've been too busy. Been too busy. Well, if you're too busy for your recovery, it's probably going to suffer. Just a little bit. So consider. I'm just saying, I'm not saying hope is a bad thing. I just think it's a mislabeled thing. When I sit in, in, in our home group on Monday nights, I see people filled with hope. They're not filled with hope. We're holding them in the consciousness of our recovery, and they are filled with the presence of God. They are filled with the energy of that acceptance, of that love, of that consideration, of that willingness. Why would these strangers, none of whom I'd like to hang out with, why are they so interested in me? Why do they give a rip? Why has this guy been talking to me for two and a half hours in the parking lot? What is that about? It's a mysterious cult. (laughs) And I'm trying to earn a new Prius. (laughs) So, for consideration, because I think it's, I think for me, It is God. And when I can feel that presence, that power, there is no fear. So instead of selling hope, it's the spirit infusing in our conversation. It is God coming through you. It is God coming through us. It is God in the conversation. It is God in the vibe, if you prefer that. It's just God. And... uh If you don't like God, call it something else. But it's the mystery. It's the mystery. I meet someone, they open their heart to this thing, this process, they're changed, they share it, and somehow something is exchanged between us. It is not words. It is not concept. It is not experience. It is feeling. It is feeling. I feel. What is that? I feel. Oh, I feel good. I feel hope. I feel like I like this person. I feel like I got a chance. I feel God. And I've never felt anything like that. And being the kind of junkie-esque guy I am, once you taste it, you want more. It'll drive itself. It's a, We call it a spiritual thirst. Once you get a certain point in this process, the arguments fall away and you start getting hungry for God. I want more. I want more. You know, I put together a good week. I hadn't put together a good week in years. A good week was a week I didn't want to kill myself. A good week was a week I didn't want to kill you. Didn't even cross my mind. Good week. A good week, you're laughing at This is my life, come on. <laughs> Later on, the good week was, I didn't lie. I didn't lie. I didn't con anyone. I didn't steal anything. Shit, how is that happening? I couldn't not lie any more than I couldn't stop drinking. We practice the opposite. We don't try and fix our resentments. We don't try. It doesn't say grab a fear and wrestle it to the ground, nail it to the wall, and God will come around on Thursday at 8 a.m. to pick up your load. (laughs) 
it says, turn in all things to Father life. It says, turn yourself to God. When I'm afraid, I don't work on my fear. I don't know about you. When I work on my fear, it multiplies. It doesn't dissipate. When I work on my fear, all of a sudden I got six of its friends with me. You know, and pretty soon I'm just looking around going, man, I need a sauna. You know, I need something else. I don't need this. Not working. It says turn to God. God, relieve me of this. I'm already free of it. I have to realize that I'm free of it. It has to become real to me that this fear is not real. It's made up by my ego, by my head, by my selfish, self-centered, sick part of my mind. And when it's real to me that that's a lie, it falls away. I don't work on it. I work on faith. I work on, I'll say, okay, fine, 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 fine. So the question is, what is it? What would God have me be? It always starts with the being. It always starts with the consciousness. What would you have me be? It wouldn't be homicidal. It wouldn't be suicidal. Let's try to get some other sidles. Um, no, it would have me be kind. Have me be tolerant. Have me be patient. Aspects of God, energy of God. Aspects of love, energy of love. But you can't sit around and be obsessive about your fear when you're over here practicing love and tolerance. So what would God have me be? Love, tolerant, helpful, useful, fine. So what does the 10th step say? Find someone. Resolutely turn your thinking to someone you can help. And that can be anywhere, any place, any time. I couldn't do anything about my fear all day because I was at work. What the hell are you talking about? (laughs) You called me at 10 o'clock. You were scared. What have you done all day? Hanging in there. What an image. And I'm getting tired. (laughs) Then why don't you let go? (laughs) Oh. And then what? Fall into God's arms. It sounds so simple. And it is, but it's just, we're so complicated. (laughs) Especially this group. We're so bloody complicated, you know. That's nice. Sounds good. Happy for you. (laughs) And then comes the but. And then here's all the disqualifiers for me. I'm different. (laughs) Jesus, you're not. Fear is fear. Fear is an energy. Fear is an entity all, all of its own. And it will manifest anywhere I give it an opportunity. Every place I give it an opportunity is a place that I'm lacking faith. Might be vulnerable around relationships, might be around jobs, might be around money, might be around something else, but it'll find it. It's like water finding cracks. It'll find it. And when it presents, there's a moment where I go, oh, not comfortable. Pause. The question is not, oh, shit, how do I get rid of this fear? (laughs) That will really help. That's like throwing gas on a fire. Um, no, the question is, what am I being asked to learn? I'm diseased. I'm uncomfortable. I'm off my beam. I'm off my path. What is it pointing at? 
oh, I made up a story about the way she looked at me when she came to work. And I said, good morning. And she said, oh, good morning. And I made up a story about it. There are people that are objectionable. There are people that are hard to be around. There are situations and circumstances that are challenging. But they don't have to own my butt. I didn't know that. Have a little faith. Have a little faith in me. Have a little faith. Try it. It's experiential. If I don't try it, it's not ideas. It's not concepts. It's experiments. Try this crap out. Drive it around. See if it doesn't work. When it works, ah! Now it's my experience. It's not their experience. It's not his or her experience. Now it's my experience. Difference in knowledge of, knowledge about. Knowledge of is experientially based. Knowledge about, I can just tell you a whole lot of things about prayer, about meditation. I can't do any of them. About fear, about resentments. I can quote the book to you and tell you what Bill said, tell you what Bob said, tell you what Clarence Snyder said, tell you what Jimmy Burwell said. But I can't do any of it because I'm too busy telling you everything I know. It's hollow. It's hollow. It's empty. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything has to be my experience. Eventually, it will be my experience. We're all having an experience. My experience for years was this doesn't work. And then it was pointed out to me that you're not working it. <laughs> the it you're talking about is the it I'm doing, and you're not doing that. Is that right? Yeah. So we're back to that timeless question, what program are you working? Whose program are you working? What's your program look like? You know? Fear and hope. So, um, the ego keeps me dancing in the realm of duality, right? Pleasure, pain, loss, gain, fame, disgrace, praise, blame, good, bad, right, wrong, black, white. It just ain't so. It just ain't so. So here it is. You got this little cat. You get up in the morning, hello kitty cat, beautiful cat, and you look out and then the and the mother robin finally had her babies and it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Life. It's a beautiful thing. And then the bloody cat eats the baby. And you go, bad cat, bad cat, and the cat's thinking, Good bird, good bird. <laughs> you know? Good, bad, right, wrong? I mean it's not the way it is. It's what is. You know when I'm uncomfortable? It's because I'm resisting what is. And I want it to be something that it's not. I want to weigh 190 pounds. I'm not willing to do anything to weigh 190 pounds. So I weigh 240 pounds. You know, it's like that. It's like, I want to be 20 years sober, but I've only got six months, and I don't think I can hang in there long enough. You know? So I'd like to sound like I'm 20 years sober and look like I'm three seconds sober. (laughs) You know? It's just doesn't work that way. It's pay as you go. And you don't get it for free. You don't get it for free. The book talks about it. The dismantling of the selfish self-centeredness. And it's a process. It's a slow process. Sometimes it's a painful process. Sometimes it's not so painful. But I'm the one that's creating the pain. I'm the one that's got all the resistance. If you look, at, if you study the steps, the steps aren't a bitch. The steps aren't even hard. The steps are all based in in elevating the practitioner 
to a higher level of existence and, and being that they've enjoyed ever before. It's about losing. It's about subtracting the things that don't work, that cause pain, that cause separation, that cause loneliness, that cause all that stuff. There's no pain in the steps. The thing that makes the steps so painful is me not wanting to do them. I want the result. I don't want to do the deal to get the result. I don't want to take the exercise. Well, then fine. Be miserable. But expect to be miserable. That's what the consequence of inaction is. Because it's not inaction. I'm just resting. No, you're not. Your ego's in there going, he's resting. We got him now. Let's have a rest. Take another week off, you know. No. You're not resting. You're practicing. You're either practicing growing in your relationship to the power or you're practicing growing in your relationship to your self-reliance. There's only two things going on here, self-reliance and God-reliance. There's not an amalgam of the two. There's not C, D, or E. Sorry. It just isn't. We did this because we honestly wanted to. And we were willing to make the effort. So it is. New episodes of The Gathering are published twice a month and can be found on Spotify and other major podcast apps. You can follow The Gathering on Spotify and others to receive monthly notifications of new episodes.